0: Wow. Right. Ready, fellas? Yep. We are. Alright then. In five four three two. Welcome back everybody to the Savage Chromcast. Season ten, Episode 3, Dune, Book Two, Muadib. I'm Josh. I'm Luke. And I am Jonathan. And we are your three Fremen hosts wandering the literary wasteland in search of that life sustaining water that we can only get from the pulps. Do we all have bluish eyes? Yeah, we've been eating, like chowing down on Spice Ham does it too The, the eyes Ham's of
1: Ebon <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> So how's it going, guys? Welcome back Living the dream, how are you, dude? Yeah, man Doing good Excited to podcast with you, gentlemen It's true It's always a delight
2: We read a fair amount to get ready for this episode This
0: was a lot Yeah, this this, this was uh, about 50 pages longer, I think, than the first section Bunch of words Lots of words <laughs> Some new words Several new words yeah Dozens. Some Herbert-isms. Yeah. At least there's a glossary. That's true. I like books with glossaries and maps.
1: <laughs> maps <laughs> are great. Yeah.
3: I concur.
0: Yep. This is <laughs> this is a good introduction. This is why I shouldn't do the intros this anymore. This is podcast gold. <laughs> We're here. So uh, we've been uh, drinking and talking for the last hour or so. And uh, uh, John brought a big can of something.
3: It was from Blue Stallion Brewing Company here in Lexington, Kentucky. It is their Dunkel. Dunkel. Dunkel.
0: That is my favorite beer, actually.
3: That's your favorite? That's, favorite. I think
0: that's my favorite.
3: Wow. I really love it. I wish I had bought you one for yourself. Nah, dude. My wife bought it for me after winning Gilmore Girls Trivia the other night at this particular establishment. That is solid. It was. I was super pumped for her. She couldn't believe how excited I was for her, but that's a solid accomplishment to win a trivia night. That is. And, yeah, it was apparently down to the wire. It was her team tied with another team, and they had a tiebreaker, and and the old wife pulled it through. She crushed it. She crushed it.
0: Maybe there will be a Cromcast Wives Gilmore podcast at some point. I would, Kara keeps talking about podcasts.
3: I'm thinking Good. that she keeps, she's it's going to happen someday.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ashley wants to, too. So all they have to do is uh, get a plan. <laughs> I assume Liz will do it, too.
3: I think so. They can talk about the sequel to Dune. Yeah, right. That can be their first season.
0: <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> They'll love that. And you have brought uh, I've got hams because I'm classy and I spend a lot of money on my friends. It's good beer. It's not bad. I like it. It's cheap, but it gets the job done. That's what a beer is supposed to do, right? <laughs> cheap it gets the job done. Yeah. What a beer is supposed to do.
1: <laughs>
0: so we're we're drinking the nectar from the land of sky blue waters tonight um and Luke you have a, a bottle of bourbon over there.
2: Yep, I got some wild turkey in case we need to get into it.
3: And you were saying that you don't like it with seltzer water.
2: No, I think it's I think it's a little bit uh unsweet. I don't know, it's not unsweet, but it's it it doesn't work the same way that the 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 cheaper uh like High Corn Heaven Hills do. Like those okay. those work better with uh with the soda water, I think. Sounds cool. That's my that's my Observation over the past couple. That's of days. your hypothesis. <laughs> we need
0: we need to do a tasting uh, of bourbons from different mash bills, different uh, amounts of rye, and different amounts of, of wheat, and and just see. Because I'll tell you what, I I only know what the ingredients are when someone tells me. Uh huh. And then even then, it's like, oh yeah, it's bourbon. I <laughs> I, I, I can taste the differences, but I couldn't describe them.
3: I can tell you when it's corny.
0: Yeah, I can tell you when it's corny.
3: Yeah, yeah. I know that one. Or Ryan. Or, or Young. Yeah, yeah. Like, if it's really green. That's a good Green. Point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it tastes like popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We should do that as a filler episode. We should just have a night where we're not actually going to talk about any stories. We just have, like, 12 shots of bourbon lined up in front of each of us, and we just see where the night takes us. <laughs> Call it Bourbon and Barbarians, and then just scratch out the and Barbarians part.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. That'd be fun. Well, that's what we've got to uh, get us through this section of Dune and this uh, geographic nightmare that is Arrakis. But before we get to that part of the show, let's talk about one thing. <laughs> One thing, the segment of the show where we tell you about something that we've been jiving on here lately, and the rule is that we go clockwise from the speaker. So it's John. It's me. You're starting us
3: out. Uh, it's funny. I couldn't think of one until you said something about liking maps here a second ago. Again. Uh, it reminded me that I've been really digging this one subreddit called Imaginary Maps, and I've been going there like every day and looking at these maps that people create either of their D&D campaigns or... <clears throat> of just like some sort of fantasy land that they're dreaming up or a lot of alternate history maps that people generate there as well. And then they tell a little story about it. So it's pretty nice. cool if you're into that kind of cartography stuff. Um, my favorite are the alternate history ones or the ones where they kind of project into the future and say things like, this is what coastlines will look like when oh, yeah. most of us underwater. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Check it out. Interesting.
1: Yeah.
2: I dig it. Does dude. that mean it's your turn? I guess it'll be mine. Uh, my one thing is the book Deathbird Stories by Harlan Ellison. Uh really all I've been doing since our last recording has been like finishing up Mindhunter, which I think was my last recording's one thing and uh reading Dune and then interspersing it with some some Harlan Ellison stuff and I really I really love it. I haven't necessarily uh what am I going to say? Like I I've, I've read a couple of the stories in that collection before uh, like before I started reading Dune, it's it's a collection that I've been kind of working through piecemeal, like just here and there. And I think even in the foreword, uh, Ellison states that you shouldn't read all of them in one sitting. You should just sort of pick it up and pick one out and, and read it. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, but here recently I've read a handful of them uh, over a handful of days, and it's great. I, I love Harlan Ellison's writing style.
0: What's your favorite one that sticks out most in your mind?
2: Uh, so far, it's been the story Basilisk, which is this super uh, engaging and heartfelt uh, anti-war kind of statement. It's 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 really visceral, and I wasn't expecting it when I first started reading it.
0: Interesting. Have you read um, Repent, Harlequin? Said the TikTok man. I have. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that one sticks out to me as a, a favorite. By Ellison. I've never read Basilisk.
2: It's a, it's it's. uh, I don't even know. Like I don't want to say too much. It's it's a a a man who is a POW and during the Vietnam War, and he comes back changed. And it's about what people go through, you know, in the face of war and Mm. and patriotism and how people perceive heroism and. Real world, like what it would be like to to suffer through the the horrors of being a POW. Mm-hmm.
3: Have you read much by Ellison? John? Not a thing.
0: Not a thing. No. Are you familiar with him? Like have,
3: I've heard he's a cantankerous coot.
0: Cantaker is cute. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Cantaker is for
3: sure. He wrote a lost episode of Star Trek. It's not a lost episode. Oh, they, it, made they,
0: it? They, they they made it. I'm not sure how true it is to his initial oh, screenplay. Okay. maybe that's what but it is it is one of the greatest episodes of Star Trek the original series. Oh. It's called The City on the Edge of Forever. okay And it's a time travel story and it's a love story and it's about what happens when you fall in love with someone who has to die. Oh. For for history to unfold as it should.
3: Who falls in love with this person?
0: Well, you'll have to Is it James Tiberius Kirk? It is Kirk and McCoy. And McCoy? Yep, they both fall in love with a lady. Oh no. Yep. Or at least have fond feelings for her. Yeah. Oh I man, it. it's 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 great. Have I'll you seen it? That. Are you familiar with that episode? Nope. Man, so good.
3: I do like Bones McCoy. No. That's a cool one thing. What's your one thing, Josh?
0: Um, now I guess it's the city on the edge of forever. <laughs> uh, last week, we went to the uh, Kentucky Theater, we three intrepid adventurers, uh, on a Wednesday evening on a school night, and we watched a uh, print of Blade Runner, the final cut, and that was excellent.
2: It was. That was a lot of fun, man. I'm glad we were able to do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, and we got to meet up with our buddy JD, uh, first time meeting him. Uh, we've talked to him a lot on Facebook, and, and he's a follower of the show. Uh, he's an artist. He is a Robert E. Howard fan and scholar. He's a former member of Rehupa, And so we got to talk to him about uh, Rehupa and his history with uh, Howard specifically and his fandom for just all genre stuff and, and comics. And uh, it, was, it was great talking to him. Um, and, uh, he bought us a round of beers, so he we did. we do owe him <laughs> some, some beers.
2: Yeah, many thanks, man.
0: Yeah, so, J.D., that was a lot of fun, dude. Thanks a lot, man. And, uh, we'll, we'll catch up again here, here soon. Um, but anyway, yeah, Blade Runner. I had never seen the final cut, and it was quite a bit different from what I remember that movie being.
2: Man, so, I'm so, I'm still... I'm so confused. <laughs> Cuz <'Cause> whenever <laughs> whenever we walked in I said, "Oh yeah, I'd seen it." And then whenever we walked out I said, "Oh no, I haven't seen it." seen the the final cut. And I guess it comes down to whether or not you've seen it with uh the voiceovers and whether or not you've seen the slightly extended like dream sequence stuff. Uh and I had seen it without the voiceovers, and I had seen it. Seen it with like the, you know, revealing dream materials. I don't know what I'd seen before. <laughs> I guess that's all to say. Was like it's the so confusing. Director's cut maybe? Well, so there's that. But I don't know. Like when it come down to it, because I I surfed through my like my Amazon like purchase history mm-hmm. to see what I had watched like more recently, like whenever I watched 2049 mm-hmm. and I couldn't find what it was, but I know it was Sans voiceovers. Mm. But it's just confusing. There's like so many different cuts of the movie. Bottom line is the one we saw I think is is the best. Oh, I like, I, <laughs> like whole, there's no question. I wholeheartedly think wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. Yeah. <laughs> but man, it's it was epic to be able to see it. On the screen, and to hear it all, uh, my only like criticism of the Kentucky theater is: man, I wish it would have been a little bit louder because, like, yeah. I wanted more of like the boom of the the sounds of it because that is definitely a a score that could be that could be pumped
0: up, right? Mm-hmm.
2: You could base it out like yeah. you could almost do like <laughs> over the top like trailers of today,
0: yeah, style like. <laughs> well, the flying cars make it a, a pretty yeah. interesting noise, right? Um, had you seen Blade Runner before
3: John? A long time ago. Yeah. I watched it on a 10 inch television.
0: Oh, I think. (laughs) Okay. Black and white or color? No color. Okay. Um, so you'd seen it a long time ago. How did you enjoy the, the cut of it that we saw?
3: It was good. Yeah. I mean, I can't make any comparisons really, but yeah, yeah. I can't really
0: either. Um, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we got popcorns. I kept pouring my popcorn into John's popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. I thought I was gonna be the only one buying popcorn. Right. And we were gonna share it. Right. And then you bought a popcorn. Because I, I was to like,
3: eat a lot of popcorn. Well, refills were fifty cents. Right. I I felt like it would be greedy. Not greedy. I don't wanna be I don't I'm not like the Jeff Bezos of popcorn. I don't want to eat all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a response.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I noticed Luke darted over to his uh, VHS show. I
2: did. I just, it just it I know we were talking about it the night of, but I never went back and looked. So the VHS copy that I have is like the theatrical release. So okay. that's where the voiceovers come in. Yeah. But I guess anytime I have like rented it digitally since, and I did it once before 2049 and once with Ignacio, it must have been sans voiceovers. But whether that was the final cut or the director's cut –
0: I don't know. I'm not sure. And I, (laughs) I'm not sure if the, the director's cut has there. There are scenes after they, they get on the elevator. I'm being Mm -hmm. as vague as I can, but they, the main characters get on the elevator toward the end. Right. And there are scenes in the cut that I've seen before after that. But this version more or less just ends abruptly when the characters get on the elevator. Yeah. So, Uh, It was really good. I've I've been thinking about it a lot in the intervening week since we watched it. Uh, I think it's really relevant today. I think it's a beautiful film. And I think there are few scenes from any movie that top the uh, raw emotion of Rutger Hauer in the rain at the end. Like, that is awesome. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my one thing. Blade Runner. Final cut. Dig it. All right, man. Take us out. That's three things that we've put together into a uh, humanoid body uh, programmed as a replicant. And we call it
3: One Thing. These things are like tears in the rain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. These episodes are like tears in the rain.
3: No, they're forever. They're on the archive.
0: Potentially. But what happens when archive.org goes down?
2: When the Archive.org becomes sentient. Oh, right. <laughs> and it speaks with our voices. It will be part of the weapons of the future.
3: <laughs> That's
2: right. That's what it is. Archive.org will take all of our words and then like, take all of our recordings and splice up every word. And then they'll be able to talk in our voice. That's right. I, yeah. I refer to arch- Archive's going to be like a... Like our name is Legion. It's, gonna, like it's gonna, I was going to say, like, our
3: internet. voices will just pop up intermittently, yeah. like certain <laughs> words you're saying.
0: An internet god. Yeah. Like a winter mute.
3: Yep. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to...
0: We're getting out there. Scary. We're, yeah. Well, we're talking about other divine beings from literature tonight. Uh, that being in particular is Paul Atreides, who we are picking up the journey of on this episode... As he continues across the wastelands of Arrakis with his mother Jessica after the events of Book One, Dune. I was I was
2: giggling. I was just thinking I'm like Paul Muad'Dib. That's like PMD. Like there's I feel like that would be a good a good acronym for him.
0: <laughs>
3: PMD. like oh, like PMD. Book,
2: book Two is like
0: PMD. Paul. You done you done with PMD? Yeah.
3: <laughs> Called Captain Dune. Captain Dune. Captain Dune. Dune. <laughs> Dr. Dean. <laughs> Dr. Dune.
2: So, uh, I guess book two picks up fairly shortly after book one, right? Uh, and uh, have you guys started book three yet?
0: Um, I'm maybe three chapters into it.
2: Okay. And, yep. and John says not. No. Uh, it That's adv- cheating. It, it advances the clock a little bit. Uh, like there's there's more of a yeah, there's more tonight. of a there's more of a closer <laughs> kinship between book one and book two here, and then book three is like like I guess what I'm saying is this is the book where the grander wheels of the cosmos all like
0: start turning. Is this would you say this is the crux of the story that that everything after is hung upon? Uh, more so than than book one, which is yeah,
2: I think book one is a lot of
0: yeah, I think book one is a lot of world building, and then I think
2: book two uh, is the setting of the plot, and I think book two is interesting in a couple instances with the way that at the way that it plays with Paul having his. His omniscience, but yet he does a couple things that are slightly different than the roads that he's seen, and it kind of sets things up to still be a little bit of a surprise to him. Like he kind of has an idea for how things like quote unquote, should play out or would play out, but yet, for whatever reason, he just does a slight little like twist of like how he, accepts the, the 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 crown or whatever has been placed upon him and it's going to flavor things up a little bit differently
0: there there are uh, at the beginning of each chapter as as we've mentioned there are these brief preambles that come from writings about muadib or about uh paul's family or or the harkonnens or whatever largely they're written by the princess Irulin. um And there's one in particular in my copy. It's on page 352. And it says, Muad'Dib could indeed see the future, but you must understand the limits of his power. Think of sight. You have eyes yet cannot see without light. If you're on the floor of a valley, you cannot see beyond your valley. Just so Muad'Dib could not always choose to look across the mysterious terrain. He tells us that a single obscure decision of prophecy, perhaps the choice of one word over another, could change the entire aspect of the future. He tells us the vision of time is broad, but when you pass through it, time becomes a narrow door. And always, he fought the temptation to choose a clear, safe course, warning that path leads ever down into stagnation.
2: I love that that comparison of like the broad versus the specific because we can appreciate how you're like uh, a mile or twenty away, and you can see the mountain peak rising up ahead of you, and you know that's what you're heading towards, and mm-hmm. that's like that is an inescapable destination but when it comes up to it in the interstates approaching the mountain ultimately you're passing immediately alongside it right it's that kind of thing like you, as you get closer you're just but a hair's breadth of way of like deviating from what you you thought was your final like like
0: destination or mm-hmm. sort of end result and you can't really see like, the, the terrain rolls in front of you. Right. And so you can't see the finer details of, is there a gas station yeah. up ahead? Is, is there a, a fork in the road or or something like that? You don't know, but you see the ultimate destination, if not the finer details. It's
2: almost scarier, like, and I think that this is something that Paul begins to appreciate in the latter portions of this book, like, that that uncertainty, like, would be better to not know at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just be shooting blind because he's, he's overshooting like, and like the way that it plays out, like he, he accepts or he brings on his, his, uh, his Fremen name. And it's not just Muad'Dib, which is what he had foresaw in his dreams, but he said, you're going to call me Paul Muad'Dib. And it's like that little bit of his own uh, personal, birthright i think Mm. like there's that relationship there like he's not totally uh jihadi freedom freedom fighter when he makes the proclamation that his name is paul plus that it it flavors
0: up his ultimate destiny he's like jim croce he has a name (laughs) that's right right (laughs) okay uh what do you think so so would you say those are are your your broad kind of statements on book two?
2: Yeah, like in terms of I think this is a cool book to talk about destiny. Uh and I think that's that's my interpretation of like the the destiny of things here. And I think we can also talk about Lady Jessica and the destiny of Paul's younger sister and how that all gets jacked up here. Two, but maybe we can circle back around to that when we start talking about the women of this book,
3: yeah, tell me what you see with destiny here
2: well, I think it's I think it's Paul becoming more comfortable with his uh quisach ness like his his comfort with being Superman like he was already comfortable as uh as an Atreides and with his birthright. But I think this book is him coming to terms with that scary factor.
3: What's scary about it?
2: Well, the fact that he isn't, he isn't like, uh, I mean, he's scary to other people cause he's like more human than human, but he's not, uh, he's not certain. Like he, like we were talking about, he's not guaranteed to be, uh, a savior or a messiah like even though <laughs> that's what you think is going to happen like that's that's not the end the end canon
0: what were your broad thoughts about this this chapter or or would you prefer to to sort of build the foundation of an overview of what happens before we delve into
2: I mean a strong central pillar. What are you the the usul of? The usul. <laughs> usul.
3: I mean, basically, it's just Paul and Jessica being pulled more into the Fremen culture, and Paul accepting his powers, and Paul becoming one of them in a way that he wasn't before, like becoming part of Arrakis, and part of that transformation includes his mom becoming the reverend mother. For this Fremen tribe that they end up in. Uh, there are other things that happen. Like Baron Harkonnen clearly has wheels within wheels that are spinning. And we get to meet Fade. Rautha? Rautha. Is that how, right? How did That's you what say I say? Okay. Uh, who is, I think, like the antichrist to Paul's Christ, sort of. He Is he, that fair to say? He could be Paul. He could be Paul. Right? Yeah. I'm interested, I guess, ultimately to see what happens. Uh, he wins a gladiatorial battle and then is going to be seduced by a Bene Gesserit as well uh, so they can preserve the Harkonnen DNA. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, because they're eugenicists and I want to see where that goes, like if that comes to fruition in this book. I know there's like four more books after this, right? Uh, of Dune. Novel. like Novel novels, novels yeah. Like- is that f- right? Uh, yeah, there's uh,
0: more there's there there a than that. Yeah, okay. For sure, uh, did Herbert write six
2: total? That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. there's oodles. But oodles. but then but then
0: other people like uh, uh, his son Frank Herbert's son Brian
3: Herbert. Uh, I think Paul
0: Paul <laughs> <laughs> <Mouadib>. <laughs> Paul Herbert. Uh, Herbert. He uh, and some other folks have collaborated on on expanding this. I, I feel like there are thirty some odd novels within the Greater Dune cycle. But the the initial Frank Herbert right. vision, I think, kind of wraps up in six books. Six books, novels, okay. six okay. novels. Yeah,
3: is that a fair assessment of the plot? I think so. Okay.
0: I I was struck by Paul and Jessica uh, and their their sort of um, trajectory okay. being drawn alongside the the Fremen, e- eventually kind of falling in with them. And uh, as they travel with the Fremen, they're drawn underground right into these caves. And it's it's pretty on the nose, right in terms of if you're if you're considering the the hero's journey, right, right here we go down into the the cave. Um, but there's there's something, I don't know. I, I jotted down caves in my notes and I must have had a reason, but now I can't think of it. But I think it's interesting that the Fremen, Dwell underground, um, beneath the sands. And that's, that's really the place where they are, they are safe. And I feel like in the hero's journey, the cave r- represents danger to the protagonist, to the hero. Um, and there is some danger here, but uh, I never felt like Paul was truly in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. So
2: in my copy on page 321, uh, after Paul gets the balliset from from Jamis, the man that he bests, right, there's a a handful of statements where he plays the plays the song, uh, and it says here. And Jessica heard the after stillness that hummed in the air with the last note. Why does my son sing a love song to that girl child? She asked herself. She felt an abundant fear. She could sense life flowing around her and she had no grasp of its reins. Why did he choose that song? The instincts were true. Sometimes. Why did he do this? Counterpoint Paul sat silently in the darkness, a single stark thought dominating his awareness. My mother is my enemy. She does not know it, but she is. She is bringing the jihad. She bore me she trained me she is my enemy like i think there's very much that that descent into into darkness here and it's uh it gets into not sins of the father but like sins of the mother like these are things that lady jessica does to her children without their consent and like puts them on these roads. And I think it's interesting that there's that inversion of a, of a classic like sins of the father kind of perspective, but it's, it's her. And also a cave could be a vagina. Could be. (laughs) I'm saying that a little bit like in a facetious tone, but I'm, I'm serious too. I think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of uh, feminine, components to this and and there's a there's a fair number of women in the story that are that are vying for
0: for paul and there's a there's a very apparent rebirth trajectory here with the story right absolutely
2: he's gonna emerge from that cavern
0: and he's gonna be changed he's, he's yeah. gonna be born again right john you're nodding your head <laughs> kind of kind of blushing is it because no. luke said the word vagina no
1: <laughs>
3: i don't know I, got, I guess I have problems with some of this.
1: Okay, like okay.
3: With let's the, hear it. Uh, I don't think it... Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, like, maybe my hot take is I don't think that this does right by its women characters. Like, I know that it's presented as this feminist future where the Benny Gesserits are this powerful society that apparently is plotting the course of humanity mm-hmm. with right. their eugenics experiments. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that the choices are, uh, narratively, that... Their power is based around DNA and making babies and making more humans, right? Um, Their powers are also witchy, witchcrafty, like they're space witches, Mm -hmm. space witch nuns, I guess. Space witch nuns. (laughs) uh, I feel like it's weird that she is clearly a powerful sorcerer, quote unquote. Like she has the voice and she is trained in a lot of things, but... She's really reduced in a lot of cases, I think, in this book in particular. She is just the narrative voice for like the awe struckness of Paul. Like, oh my gosh, Paul is so dope. And it feels weird to me in a way that I don't know that I can verbalize very well. Do you understand what I'm saying, Luke?
2: I do. I, okay. I think that summarizes like a lot of the uh a lot of the pushback that people feel about about Dune. Okay. Like Maybe it's not quite so feminist as you would as you would think that it is. Yeah, with the way that it treats its women.
3: I think that part of my, I tried to explain to to my wife the other night because I was saying like I don't know if I'm digging what I'm reading, and she kind of was like, well, why? And I said, I, it's it feels cringy to me, like a, as a teenage boy, kind of cringiness to it of this weird like power trip that Paul is on, and. I know in the last episode we talked about he's not a Barry Stu or whatever they call male Mary Sue characters. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that I feel like speak to that mindset in this character. Like he's super powerful. He could win any knife fight. He's got the best detective brain. Uh, his dad is dead. And like the best fictional dad is usually a dead dad, right? Because he can't tell you what to do anymore. But you've learned all the really cool things you could learn from him. Already, like his dad is honorable forever. Now he can never be tainted by whatever war is coming, and he gets to hang out with his mom that loves him, and he loves back in like weird ways, maybe, Uh, because she has this weird possessive feeling about him because she made him by choice. Is that right? Like she has powers over. She she was able to determine his
0: sex right while he was developing in the in the womb and
3: yeah. this part that you just read about where she i feel like is losing her hold over him in a way uh she's threatened by chani chani how do we mm-hmm. want to say it uh this other woman appearing that's maybe capturing paul's attention that's it felt very cringy to me i can't like there's no other word that i can come up with off the top of my head i guess uh it feels very like it would have spoken to me as a 13 or 14-year-old boy. Uh, and I know that you said your pushback against him being a Mary Sue is that nobody would want to be Paul because he knows all these bad things. Right. And he's he's feared, right? But I think that's power to a young man sometimes, like being feared. Also, it doesn't seem to be scaring off girls. Like he's still going to get to be with this girl, it seems like. And from what I can gather from these Princess Arulyan things – He's going to marry a princess at some point in the future. So like he's so apart from humanity, but that makes him special and everybody recognizes it. And he's not so special that he can't get with people still that he wants to be with. So I feel like it's, I don't know. I'm just babbling, but no. What do you think, Josh? Yeah. Talk I think, my words. Well, 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 I,
2: I th- <laughs> so I think, I mean, I don't, agree with with uh, a lot of your sentiments I get I get the the flavor of how people can be upset ultimately upon like reading dune that that a lot of the women in the novel are there in service of Paul I understand that but I get it more as uh, more as a as an impersonal like writing choice, as opposed to making Paul uh, a Superman, which like Paul is a Superman, right? He's, he's a 15 year old Superman who can, who can kill grown gorilla fighters that should be able to best him. And he's able to predict the future and operate like a supercomputer, all of those things. But I still hold, that he is not uh, an enviable character. He's he's. I think he's an absolutely sympathetic character. And like the way that he, the way that he breaks down after Jameis, uh, after he kills Jameis, I think is is beautiful. And I think before <laughs> once they once they get into the the drug fueled. Uh, orgy at the end of book 2 like he has a level of connection with Chani. Uh I, I think those are the things that ground him and keep him human and I think it's cool that his wa- uh, not his wife, sorry uh, well so <laughs> I think it's cool that his mom uh, is able to exercise power over him and keep him human and I think it's cool that his concubine chani is able to exercise power over him and keep him human and i guess that's what i'll say right there and we can we can leave princess Irulan until book three but i think like those those people are central to the narrative so despite them playing center stage i think that they are very much uh the most important characters in the novel like outside of paul
0: because they serve as these anchors.
2: Yeah, and they are the people that are ultimately uh, the source of uh, narrative distress, but also like heroism, too. Like the way it plays.
0: Yeah. I I think that Jessica's um, motivation changes pretty significantly from book one to book two. Right. In, in book one, she's still protective of Paul like that never changes. Um, but I think that in the course in, in the shift from book one to book two, she realizes, oh, my God, I've I've created the Quisach Haderach. And I th- I think from from my reading of it, she didn't actually really think that that was going to happen. Right. Uh, I, at least I'm saying right. That just yeah. sort of center myself. Like I, I think, from my reading, she did not think that this was a- actually going to happen.
2: It was like a selfish thing. Like she chose that because of her love because, for Leto. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Leto would have wanted a son, and then, and that's why she did it. Um, and sh- she is, I think, shaken to her core to to learn that that Paul is, you know, his his mentat abilities are awakening. in in ways that he can't really control. And, um, I think that the fact that he is displaying some precognitive powers at the end of book one and into book two really kind of devastate her. Right. Like she, she has post-traumatic stress, not just from the loss of her family and everything that she held dear and, uh, not her husband, but the, 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 the Duke, um, and the knowledge that she is related to the Harconans, right? Like,
2: and that everybody thinks that she's the traitor too, yes, or at least that yeah. Thufir is like, like her. She's she's the bad. She's the bad one because yep.
0: because know, She's the witchy woman <laughs> exactly, and and they planted that seed perfectly, right? Yep. So I I guess you know I'm saying this as a uh a, a man in his late 30s, but I I didn't read jessica as a character who was um being victimized by the plot necessarily she's i think having very real fall emotional fallout from the things that that happened i I think
2: i think it's 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 interesting that she's like like my read of the character is that she's someone that if she has a fault it's a forgivable fault for her love for Lido and choi- choosing to give him you know Paul like mm-hmm. that kind of decision and in her love for uh Paul and her actions with the Fremen she doesn't see any case she like it like she doesn't realize what her choices are for her daughter in the womb. Like I (laughs) think again, like this walks a fine line. Cause then you're saying, well, it's, it's a woman and her emotions are clouding her judgment. And she should have seen like what she was doing hurting, like uh, her daughter, Aaliyah, like she should have had the, the recognition of that. But I think it is a very human. Characterization for, for her that is like a counter to her, like Benny Jesuit mandate. I don't know. I think Herbert, <laughs> I think he work. he, he walks the, the knife's edge here. And I think he's intentionally using women as characters in his novel to, to get at some of these themes and some of these items that we're talking about. I think that's why. That's really why I really uh, that I respond to the the story the way that I do, and that I, that I that I just like it. I think that it's. I think there's a dramatic intentionality to the the gender of the characters in the story, and I think that that's forming the the plot.
0: Does Jessica have agency? Or she is she at the mercy of everything unfolding around her?
3: They're both at the mercy of everything unfolding them around them. Who she and uh, she and Paul. Paul? I mean, like they're both victims of circumstance, of birth, and mm-hmm. of of plots of other people, basically. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it's not that she doesn't have agency. It's that everything is filtered through Paul. Okay, and I think I have the opposite reaction of Luke. Perhaps where I have. I have a visceral dislike of Paul. <laughs> uh, I don't like Paul as a character. I don't know how else to put it. I
0: I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. I don't dislike
3: Paul. Yeah, I think I'm on the other end of the. the you're in the middle, and we're the opposite ends of the spectrum. So, so,
2: what is it that you don't that you don't like about the character? Because <laughs> to me, he doesn't. I I think
3: I, it's just too much. Like, he's the best at everything. Uh-huh. And you were talking a second ago about, like, it's not a, a for sure thing that he's going to be a messiah. But for me, his I, is it plot armor? Is that a thing that people talk about? Like, we've talked about plot armor before. Nothing is going to happen to Paul. I know that he, like, bad things may happen in his name, but Paul himself is going to get through things, I guess. And, and he seems to be getting what he wants at each turn, even if it is clouded in the pain of knowing that people are going to have a banner with his dad's logo on it and wage jihad in his name. But I don't know. I just don't like him. I don't like him. <laughs> like, I can't put my words on it. Like it, it, The deeper we get into this, we're 600 pages mm-hmm. in in my copy, the more I'm just like, I don't like you, Paul. I don't like you. I can't explain it because he seems like an interesting – at the outset, I was like, oh, sure, you know, he's going to have – he's an omega level mutant and all that kind of jazz, but I'm just not – I'm not connected with Paul. I like Jessica. I think that she has a lot of interesting angles to her and could be a really interesting focal character, but I don't feel that way about Paul.
0: So Conan is the best at everything.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I can't – like I said, I can't explain what it is about Paul. Okay. That that really just like rubs my hair the opposite direction.
0: Got it. I was wondering why your hair looked like that. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I don't know. Um, do you have a response?
2: No, no. I mean, I, I'm I'm interested to see how you how you feel at the end as when we read the final book yeah. to see what you think. So, what's your read on on Chani, like and, and Stilgar Stillgar and the Fremen? That, like
0: that's that was going to be my yeah. next. Yeah, let's talk about the. So I had Chani, uh, Stillgar and Fade Ralph as, as the other three major characters that we've introduced here.
3: Stilgar is cool. Uh, feels very like Tars Tarkis to me, kind of that sort of John Carter S character of mm. comes out of the desert and is wise and, and offers shelter and that kind of, that kind of trope. Uh, I think Chani could be interesting, but again, like everything is filtered through Paul and her experience with Paul. So I want to see what, comes of her in the third book i'm trying not to pass judgment until then i wasn't going to say that i didn't like paul until the Um, last until we had to
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean he's uh i don't know he's he's accepting his his uh his birthright and his his quesach hot but it's with a heavy
0: heavy heart right Mm -hmm. like he doesn't he doesn't want to do this i i think but I think he sees that of all the available paths, like, he could lay down and die, but that would be worse, potentially, right, yeah. than w- the the horrors that he's going to unleash.
2: So, uh, So, someone else that we didn't mention here, and it's a very small bit, but I love the extra narrative structures that that Herbert establishes within the novel, but like the interaction between we get to see what all of the other Atreides peoples are mm-hmm. up to. And so like Gurney's interaction with, I think the name is Tuke, but mm-hmm. like the, you know, the, uh, the smugglers. Yeah. And like the smugglers, ven- like vengeance that they desire against the Harkonnens, but yet it's reserved and they're playing a very diplomatic angle that's another like level of the story that i really like just how you have uh not just like plots within plots and and feints within feints but also uh narrative objectives for all these different characters that are counter to to one another because when anybody meets up with jessica She's going to be the devil, right? Like she's, (laughs) I say the right in the rhetorical sense. Like that's just like, she's the, she's, she's the, 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 the bad gal
3: for, yeah,
2: I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I love the squeeze play that I love. I love Paul with the weight of his, uh, what's the word? Like his his predestined existence. What's the right word? Fate. Yeah, his fate. Yeah, there we go. Thanks. I I love the the, the, I like the idea that he has this fate that he's accepting, and I love the the fatalism of Lady Jessica accepting the the evils and the woes and like how people are viewing her in the service of what she's going for with with Paul and her Benny Jesuit Missionaria protectiva, like she's now the, the Sayadina, right? Like she's yeah. like, she's, she's accepting this mantle. She was drinking the, the, the water of life that Johnny just, that Johnny just like yeah. poof, squished down her throat. She did all those things. And, and who knows what kind of monster she's got in her womb at this point in time, yeah. like all of these things. And she's just saying, damn the torpedoes and, and rolling with that too.
0: Mm-hmm. I they, they, they all do seem caught up in the currents of, the streams of fate that they can't escape.
3: Yeah. But in a headcount. Gurney's alive with this, the trade guild, mm-hmm, right? The smugglers guild through fear through is with the bad Baron. Yeah. He's the now the Harconin, Mintat yeah.
2: for the Harkonnens, which right. is effed up.
3: And, and he has wheels within wheels, within wheels. He
0: does. He's got some, some plays that he's working on. And the only thing that's keeping him loyal is the fact that they've poisoned him. <laughs> right. Unbeknownst and, to him. Uh, yeah.
3: And Duncan. Uh, oh, and Idaho he is,
0: thinks that Jessica is the villain. Right. No, that's the other thing.
3: And Idaho's dead. He's dead.
0: Right. Yeah. No. Oh, and, and the planetologist that, is dead. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. So Kynes was the big surprise to <laughs> right. me. It, the the death of Kynes really blindsided me because he is set up at book one to be the the Ben Kenobi figure. Right. To the Stilgar. The Stilgar. Yeah. Yeah. And then Stilgar comes in and I'm like, well, what about Kynes? And right. they're like, oh, well. Here's Kynes, and he's on a, a spice geyser.
3: Don't got and, blown and up. He's
0: dead. <laughs> but that chapter is awesome because it reveals so much about the 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 broader scale sort of plots that are happening here, right. the faction level plots. And so the Fremen represent a faction within this this world, um, and they want to bring a greenery, a, a green environment, to Arrakis. Right. Kind of uh, limit the distribution of the the sandworms and bring water and bring life to the planet. And you get all of that in this beautiful sort of hallucination that Kynes has as he's dying. And that chapter really took me by surprise. And so I think that is a credit to to Herbert's uh, vision and his writing. Uh because I he he got me, he tricked me. Um <laughs> I thought that Kynes was was being set up to be, like I said, the Obi-Wan right. uh figure in this in this story, and he was not at all. Unless there's a surprise revelation that oh Kynes isn't are there, dead. Are and, there and
3: force ghosts in <laughs> Den? Are
2: there are there what?
0: Force ghosts. Oh <laughs> There's no for, there's no force here. No. Um so yeah, that chapter was was really interesting to me. Uh, one thing we talked about last episode that we never came back to was the the dinner scene in book one. Mm-hmm. And I see some reflections of the dinner scene in the knife fight that Paul has with Jamis, And in book one, in the dinner scene, he's, he's fencing, but with his words. And here he's fencing, but it's a more physical affair. And I wanted to see what your guys take on this relationship such as it is that Paul has with, with James, and the fight and the subsequent end of the fight. And then the funeral after that.
2: So I think it's, I think it's interesting that the, the knife fight is a more uncertain footing for Paul. Uh, like the, the dinner scene Paul owns that that sparring match that's playing out at the table. And the knife fight between him and Jamis, he's he's not able to best that Fremen right away. He should, but he can't overcome his own hardwired training. And so I think that's noteworthy and i think the like this is where i would argue as a counter to like the the remarks that you were making before john that he's not perfect and he doesn't have a uh he's not looked on favorably by people like it seems as if he is trying to toy with a man cat and mouse style that he should be able to to just dispatch this guy. And that's what everybody thinks. But he just can't. Like he hasn't come to terms and figured out how to do it with knife in the hand. And I think that's uh, a statement for the larger narrative that Herbert has for this character.
0: His training is such that uh, he's used to fighting with these shields, right? The These um, electrical sort of force shields. Field shields,
2: almost more of a, a civilized sort of way of fighting. Yeah, and he's now in the larger, more barbaric world, and he can't.
0: He like he's he's
2: trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah, in order to get your knife point through the shield, you have to strike slowly yet deliberately with some force. And uh, Jamis is experienced with fighting. Without shields you don't want shields because that Attracts the worms right so He's striking very quickly and Paul is agile and he's able to get out of the way Uh but it's always just By a hair's breadth right like he just Barely dodges um and So I I loved that section You you hit the nail right on the head the The civilized style Of fighting versus the more Mm -hmm. barbaric Style of fighting that that comes to play Here um I was struck by the uh, the fact that Jessica is like, we see both the dinner scene, uh, which is a duel of wits and the, the knife fight, which is a, a physical duel through the eyes of Jessica. Right. And she is constantly sort of lamenting the training that Paul or, or lack thereof uh, of training that Paul has had um, and the style of training. And she certainly doesn't think that the ending is a foregone conclusion. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if if her impressions of the fight are sort of fall into the more problematic aspects that you pointed out earlier, John. It didn't seem that way to me. It seemed like a mother concerned for her son. Uh, But she's fairly,
2: but she's fairly uh, not dispassionate, but like reading, like in her Benny Jesuit way, like thinking about. These are the the chinks and the gaps within my son's armor, uh, like okay. the way that she's she's recognizing things as an older, more mature like advisor on top of being a mother that cares. No. It's uh, so
0: she's I almost, got this dualism that's running. yeah okay.
2: I think if Gurney would have been watching that scene, we would have seen we would have had the same report from gurney's eyes. Like he would have said, you know, Paul, I've trained you this way the whole way through. And if only I would have had a day or two (laughs) worth Mm -hmm. of lessons to go back and talk about fighting without shields.
0: What'd you think of the knife fight?
3: It was good. Like it was interesting. Uh, I didn't have as strong of feelings about it as either of you. It sounds like
0: I, I was really taken by it. Uh, we've, in book one, we got some uh, statements about knives and blades and killing with the edge versus mm-hmm. killing with the point. Yeah. Um, in this one, I can't remember. Doesn't Paul kill Jameis with the point? He does it. Yeah, yeah. So
2: we've got this this knife fight that we've talked through for Paul, but I think there's a counterpart. And we we mentioned Fade Rautha earlier and the fact that he... Could be like Paul. There's a, there's a brotherly, there's a symmetry between those two characters that we'll come back to in latter portions of the novel.
0: They're cousins, uh, aren't they?
2: They are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're they're both of that Harkonnen blood. Uh, one of them deserves, by whatever standard, uh, the the rulership of of Arrakis. That's what at least like what was granted by you know the system big brother the man whatever uh and and the other one fade Rautha, has like that's what he's destined towards uh and so it, it's worth talking about the knife fight that fade Rautha goes through like yeah. it's it's a, he he basically is in a gladiatorial fight on getty prime right and it's in uh, what what year is I don't know. It's like his hundred and fiftieth duel or something. But it's it, it's a landmark. It's, it's a big one. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's it's a hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred kills. I don't know. This dude, he's a killer, and he's only like he's fifteen ish. The same way that that Paul is, but he, and and that's an interesting thing. Paul's never taken a life with the knife before. Yeah, the way that Fade Raltha, at this point has killed loads of gladiators. And and I I don't know. I think it's just interesting the way I keep saying interesting. I think it's interesting. I think all <laughs> I, I think these things are interesting. I the way that Fade kills other men in the ring is noteworthy. I'll say noteworthy instead of interesting. He does it through Poison And through subterfuge in this specific instance, but there's a level of acceptance by the crowd with the way that the drugs and the poison are used. Like, mm. I think I think drugs are central to the conversation of Dune. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> the way that civilization accepts the fact that, like, Fade Rautha is fighting drugged uh, gladiators – is, is, is bonkers to me Like the, I don't see how that, that is heroic But yet it's construed as being heroic
0: It's like he's constantly Giving these Seminars on Various poisons and how they interact With the body right
3: <laughs> Yeah It's a stock hunt
0: It is it, or it's uh, it's a fix Right like to borrow a wrestling term right. Like the, this is a, a, a match That is predestined from the beginning.
2: It's it's a fix that's further fixed because the 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 black and the white blades have been shifted. Yeah. But on top of that the dude was already supposed to be like drugged up and have his reactions and his emotions skewed by by the like before he even goes into the ring. It's mm-hmm. it's like it's faints upon faints. It's <laughs> It's this massive, like Game of Thrones, that's playing out on the stage. It's it's interesting,
0: and this time <laughs> I wonder, this, that's going to be my default. I'm sorry. It's interesting. <laughs> this time, though the the guy is uh, handpicked by Fade Ralthe and is not drugged. Question mark.
3: Boofer says no. Yeah. He's got a plan to make him look like a big old
1: <laughs> big old hero.
3: Um, so he's got an undrugged person that's going to be noticeably undrugged by the crowd, but has been post-hypnotically suggested to become paralyzed when he's called scum. scum. And the, the blazer switched, as we've already mentioned. So it's it's a apparent opposite fix where it's going to make him look good, but it's super fixed in the end. Yeah. It's They're plot- going to put him over the top. More wrestling. Uh, there you oh. go. Over the top.
2: <laughs>
0: That's
3: arm my, wrestling.
2: My head hurts <laughs> with like the layers of the But this, this is did. the
0: harkonnen style plotting, right? Like yeah. we we see similar plots from the Baron in the first book, and Fade Ratha is learning from the master here.
3: I also have to say that at this point where we meet this other count, the mm-hmm. guy that shows up, the oh, Imperial Count, yeah. I, I couldn't take that anymore until they entered the cone of silence and he talked like a normal person. Yeah. Like this whole like, oh, The man. stuttering sort of, yeah. I was like, uh, no, stop it. <laughs> He's a stone-cold killer, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know that, but the, the faints within faints, it's like, all right, come on.
0: <laughs> I don't want to read this. But isn't it cool that this predates Game of Thrones by – 30 years 40 years 30 years something like that okay um game of thrones came out in the 90s right the the first novel mm-hmm. uh and here we have great houses and schemes and trying to put people on the throne
3: is that uh, what game of thrones is about yeah sort of okay. yeah i thought it was about
0: dragons there's dragons <laughs> there are dragons technically there are dragons in this too the worms are dragons? Yeah, the worms are dragons. No, they are not. Yes, they are. <laughs> oh, dude, they guard a sacred treasure.
3: They don't
2: have I want that the meme of like the 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 synapses firing, and then the next one closer, <laughs> and the next one closer. And it was and I want an it to overdrive.
3: Be, it's, <laughs> the worms are dragons. The worms are dragons.
2: <laughs> we can make that happen. I think that's. I think that's a, a I think that's a, a a mine worth delving deep.
3: Yeah. Why are they dragons? Their
0: their power, like they are the ultimate power of the world. The arguably the galaxy, right? Like they control the spice that allows for galactic travel. I still
3: don't see the dragon part.
0: Dragons, in most myths, can uh, guard some sort of sacred treasure.
3: And then they always die.
2: And, well, in the context of the, <laughs> the G's of T's, or the, the songs of the ice and the fires, uh-huh. like, they're the WMDs. Okay. Yeah. Like, it, she who controls the dragons...
0: Controls the world.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. <laughs> they he, he
2: who controls the spice controls... Right. The, the everything. There's okay. connections there. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. My mind just exploded.
3: <laughs> it's pretty cool. So, Are you going to write it down to make the meme? Uh, make. Meme generation. <laughs> I mean, Tomorrow. Put it in your Tomorrow. outlet calendar. It's my Is this in room. your bullet journal?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's in my bullet journal. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the the broader sort of galaxy itself. And the way in which religion fits into it. So in doing research for tonight, I ran across this notion, this idea of cosmicism. Have you guys heard of this before?
3: Nope. Not until you sent me the nope. article. I, I, yes.
0: In the context of... Uh, Lovecraft. Yeah, Lovecraft. So so dig in, in your own words, What what's cosmicism?
2: It's uh, anonymity and large uh it's anti-human in as far as it's like the the individual within the grand scope of things is is just a a minuscule part and so humans like writ large like humankind is 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 insignificant right yeah but the the extrapolation
0: of that is like the individual experience is insignificant and nested within that is the idea that if humans aren't significant, then they probably weren't divinely created. So there probably is no God. Right. And so... Or dragons. Or dragons. Well, no, there they can still be dragons. Oh, okay. Um, so I guess my question, and this is going to be kind of meandering and rambling and uh, freewheeling, but how do you guys think thus far in, in Dune that Dune stacks up against that notion of cosmicism, of, of the Lovecraftian view of the universe.
1: Hmm.
2: So I think just shooting off the hip, there's the, uh, like the, the great person, great man theory of history.
0: Yeah. Right? We've talked about that before.
2: Yeah, we have, yeah. And I think that in this structuring, the, there is a Messiah, there is Paul Muad'Dib. He is a great person that is driving the overall narrative structure of this this uh, this story. Mm-hmm. And as such, that would be counter to a cosmos cosmicist view
3: of the the dune mythos i would push even further on that and say it's not just that paul exists all of paul's ancestors had to exist for paul to come into being so each of them individually also plays a part in this tapestry that is the messiah genetically speaking with the Je- yeah, Jesse the mini Bennett.
2: Jesuit the mini have been Jesuits. actively I like keep almost pushing them for actual
3: it. Jesuit. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh
3: so I feel like it's almost saying that there's the potential through all of our individual stories in the end to come up with one thing that can harness a cosmic force. Okay. Which is like time. He's he can control time, sort of, or time dilation in his brain.
2: Time you're you're right. Like when they uh when they do the the drug fueled orgy thing at the end right. of book two, time stands still for for uh, the cyadina, Lady Jessica. So And that, that approximates like what the Quisotch Haderach he can like say, Stop, gotta think about this. Look at all those <laughs> webs. <laughs> <Stop>.
0: Make decisions. <laughs> Drop,
3: hammer time. shut him down, <laughs> open up shop. So I think I understand where it could be seen as very cosmicist because like all their lives are just being played out in the dust and like it. Yes. It doesn't really matter. This is where I'm. I right. So
0: this is how I'm pushing back right. is that Paul is a very secular Messiah. He's not a divine being. He's a human creation. Right. Which doesn't necessarily uh, require. Of an external god or a creator, right. like you can still have Paul Muadib in his capacity as as the Quisach Haderach without any sort of divine intervention, right?
3: right? Which I think almost makes this more humanist, which to me is the opposite of cosmosis. Not necessarily like Christianity. I, I don't. I don't
0: know. Okay. And, and so I. I this is where. This is where I don't know. Okay. Um, but in my head, my thoughts were this this is not vastly dissimilar to a Lovecraftian worldview because uh the the specialness of Paul is just based on humans knowledge of biology and science. Mm-hmm. And Lovecraft even says in the call of Cthulhu, the sciences will eventually expand out into such areas and illuminate, illuminate such darknesses in the universe. I'm paraphrasing here that, that we will either, uh, uh, we will go mad from the revelations and flee into the, the darkness of a a new dark age or whatever. And in my head, Paul is sort of seeing all of the darkness of the cosmos. Paul is, is, a Lovecraftian protagonist, he just yeah. doesn't pass out. Yeah. Right. He's touched. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And there's a little madness here. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, true understanding of your ancestors. And those are definitely Lovecraftian through lines. Um, and so in my poorly devised uh, hypothesis or, or model of, of the Dune cosmos, it it fits into a cosmicist's worldview. And I say this sort of admittedly being s- pretty ignorant in, in terms of the the whole breadth and depth of, of cosmicism as a philosophy.
2: So one of the things that John said a second ago about it being humanist mm-hmm. causes me to like like I want to step back so with the 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 accept a religious jihad right like they they sign on to the the scriptural underpinning of what's presented in book two they do uh but both jessica and paul are, and specifically Jessica, they're, they're saying the words to convince the people to make sure to ensure their safety. And like I, I guess what I'm getting at is that Paul is uh, a person of some importance to the, to the overall like way that the, the, the fate of the, the cosmos plays out like apart from religion and apart from uh like an uncaring world like like whether the dude wanted it he's chosen
0: right he's uh because i've watched uh a red watchman recently he's dr manhattan with emotions
2: the, yeah I, that's yeah that's right on yeah like he's he's he did <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah,
0: he he is a a uh, in the story a Christ-like figure, but he is the product of as as John's pointed out, genetic manipulations within po- the human population throughout mm-hmm. generations. And Jessica is maintaining kayfabe through all this, right? Like to borrow a wrestling term, she she knows that this is not a religious thing that's happening, it's a science thing that's happening, but the Fremen don't. Right? Right. Uh, does that yeah. ma- just, just yeah. what I'm saying? Right I,
2: I think by the end of book two, Paul realizes that it's not a religious thing either. Mm-hmm. But he he drinks the Kool-Aid. Like <laughs> by the time book three rolls around, he's he's signed on to that
0: that that title two. too. By necessity, do you think? we'll we'll see like we'll whenever see. we okay. read
2: into it yeah, yeah. Uh, but i think i uh, but that like that 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 statement about jessica like realizing that it's the the situation dictates it i think I, I i don't know i i i like the idea of a single person steering the the cosmos here as a as a counterpoint to Everybody's insignificant. Everybody's insignificant, mm. and I like the the human structure of what we're talking about with Jessica. No, I don't
3: well, know. I, I, I kind of feel like I understand what Josh is talking about. Like there was humanism filtering down through the ages to create paul who now is a part of some cosmic (laughs) grander thing he's a
0: cthulhu-esque elder like he is the
3: cthulhu monster and the lovecraftian protagonist kind of rolled into one is is what and like we don't know what that's going to mean for humanity
2: so to that point think and I, i i subscribe like what you're saying here dude i think it i I want to subscribe to your like, newsletter. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I mean you can you can look at any number of like Dune ladder sequels, and mm-hmm. they are there. There are there are dudes with heads on worms. Like that's the way that like there are worm people. Yes. Okay. And and there are like, Godhead Doom. Like like just just Google like the pictures of of Paul. Like it becomes horrific. And the the fate of Paul becomes horrific. It does get wrapped up into this kind of this this end result narrative that you're talking about. So, I th- I think you're tapping into exactly like the the scariness of what what Paul's ultimately going to
0: experience.
3: Yeah. i looking up Dune worm people. Yeah,
0: dune worm people. Uh, I was thinking about this in terms of.
3: Oh, like, <laughs> yeah, right? It's Pretty like, scary, right? It's a worm with a and comet face. Yep. Nice,
0: and he's sunbathing. And he's got arms, and he's like shrugging. Like, yeah, like, like what? Do what you want Me worry?
3: <laughs> Mondays. Mondays.
2: <laughs> IDK. Where
0: is my Fe- feeling now? cute?
3: <laughs> Might make some oh, spice later. IDK. There we go. Yep. Lido Atreides the second, God Emperor of Dune.
0: There you go
2: yep Oh yeah, nice. And so, c- compare that to the uh, the Spacing Guild in like Lynchian terms. The if, if you've if you've seen like the Dune Lynch movie, just the way that the the Spacing Guild are depicted, it's it's it is horrendous and it is it's inhuman and it's
0: Cthulhu esque. Like dude, you're you're right on. <laughs> I th- I was just wondering what you guys would think like no it, it just seems like the the cosmos is uncaring here in in our Herbert verse much like it would be in our lovecraft universe I, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think I think like the the story that we're reading here at the outset is such a small percentage realist, like portrayal of how, how like roll of the dice, the way that the entire cosmos would play out on like 0.1% of the dice. This is what would happen. And we're getting like the crazy, like, holy crap. This is, this is the world that we're now living in. You're getting the, the chance of a chance of a chance,
0: the thin tail version of the universe.
2: And it, it is almost predestined, only yeah. only it's presented in the fact of no man, this is just the the rarest of circumstances world that we're getting. Grow to put straw in the headlock.
1: <laughs>
3: I I hope. <laughs> okay. Have we hit Fade Rotha? <laughs> I,
0: I kinda of steered us away from Fade Rotha, but like no, no. I I I just wanted to take uh, given that we are a weird fiction yeah. sort of focus, uh, at least historically, I think there's a little weird in this story. And I don't think it's masked. I don't think you have to read too deeply to, to see it. And I think that Paul is a weird character in, in the the weird fiction-esque way of, of using that word.
3: Right. Yeah.
0: So. But back to Fade Rotha.
3: He has a poison uh,
0: knife and a non-poison
3: knife. I don't know. I, that, that's it. I think we nailed it. He tricks it around. <laughs>
2: uh, I mean, well, so uh, I'm trying to think about how we can circle back around. Well, I, I think that
0: uh, there's we talked about this through line of poison. I don't know if we've delved into it or if that was off mic. But we talked about the Harkonnens and their fondness for poison. And we talked about the Water of Life kind oh, of yeah. kind of being a a weird toxin in and of itself
2: so by the end of the second book i so the way that this plays out we have jessica accepting the mantle of the the old mother the Cyadina mm-hmm. of the the fremen siege. that she's a part of she is kind she doesn't necessarily know exactly what she's getting into but chani like pushes the water down her throat so she kind of like accepts it and she takes the poisonous waters and changes them and then uh, uh, an orgiastic revelation sort of descends upon the, the firmin peoples within the siege like 20,000 people are are all taking jugs out of uh, taking drinks out of them the magic jugs of water and they're they're getting into like like matrix revolution style orgies. <laughs> I was
0: about to say that this reminded me of that scene in the caves uh in The Matrix.
2: Yeah. I think the the Jikowskis totally like they tapped into that. Like yeah. that's that's what's playing out in this scene. Uh maybe we'll come back to 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 Saint Aaliyah of the knife. Or, or Paul's little sister in the third book, I think we can come back to lots of lots of women within the story. but but in this case, Jessica knowingly takes this poison into her and changes changes it like she she stops time like we talked about that before John, John said, you know she ta- she she has the capacity to, to just put time on hold, rearrange molecules, fix the the liquid in her canteen or this larger like structure and then and then it's ready to go it's ready for for magic sauce right (laughs) so what is the water that's within this this receptacle john
3: it's like pure spice wine kind of
2: but where did it come from let's get into the ecology of the the
3: critters on dune uh, you might have to do this more than I can. Is, is it
0: from Shai Halud? It's <laughs> it's from one of the 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 worms itself, right?
2: So they so the way that we get this this magic like orgy water is you take a worm, mm-hmm. one of the worms, which is a, a big maker or Shai oh, the little makers. That's yeah. Right. okay, yeah. And then they they drown a worm, and upon exhalation. The, oh, okay. the 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 worm expels drowned water, which is impregnated with the spice magic, which is the the water of life. Oh, okay. Yeah, and but um, before that, you've got the whole conversation, and I'm still not totally clear of the little maker is like a a symbiotic relationship between multiple uh, constituents. And it's uncertain if a little maker and shy halud like is the worm uh, a singular organism or is it a mutualistic
0: relationship? It's not totally clear. I was under the impression you're right. It's not totally yeah. clear. I was under the impression that the little makers were a component of the life cycle of the the worm, uh-huh. and that they you know this is this is maybe gonna not be interesting to anyone uh, who's listening, but. Uh, There are some insects that practice this, uh, these weird life cycles that alternate sort of uh, Mm -hmm. uh, sexual reproducing generations. And I thought that the little makers were a either sexual or or asexual component of the the larger worm life cycle. So I think it is the same species, just a different part of the life cycle of that species. That's the way that I took it. But I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> a it's a li- it's a little bit uncertain, but it is a uh, a weird, ecologically complex relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what's going on here. Yeah. But, but regardless of the whole relationship between a little maker and a big maker, slash shy halud, slash god. Like that's cause that's the, the I, I love the way that the the vernacular of the Fremen gets wrapped up within like the ecology. Like that's the yeah. layer. But the statement is: Lady Jessica takes the water in that is from a drowned worm mm-hmm. and transforms it. Yeah. She does something miraculous, right? She 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 does her sorcery, but really, she she stops time, she rearranges molecules, and she says it's good for the drinking.
0: How much of that do you think is actually happening? And how much of that is Jessica tripping? And, <laughs> and then everyone else, you know, they pass the, 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 the wine skin. Like I picture this as a giant sort of bag that yeah, approximates yeah. A, a sandworm in shape. And Chani is just squeezing uh, it out of the spout that Jessica has in her mouth. And then they pass that around. Uh, to the the twenty thousand fremen that are here, or whatever, and then um, orgy chaos.
3: <laughs> I took it very literally, like that. She did those things. She actually did those things. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because that was what made the orgy possible. I guess uh, that, okay. that was my interpretation. Because even the the old reverend mother's like, you got to do this to let them. That's add.
0: that is true. Yeah. yeah, she she sort of taps into the ancestral uh, knowledge network. Of yeah. of these these women, right? I
3: felt like she was in the Soul Stone for a second. Oh yeah, yeah. Because like she gets all of the racial memories poured into her chalice in her brain. It's pretty sword and sorcery, right? It is pretty sword and sorcery.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love that she's like a young dancing woman. Like at one point, there's a statement about like she sees like her her soul. Yeah. Like some some comment. And she's like, no, this is how I really am. And it's the, old, the old woman, yes. yeah,
0: in in uh, the idealized sort yeah. of memory world.
2: That's beautiful, man. I love that.
0: Yeah, it's awesome.
2: I think that there's a connection between, like, like the the usage of the term Cyadina, like it, it it's like her like handing it over.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's her as the old woman. Yeah, like the,
2: what am I trying to say? Like the, uh, but doesn't Johnny get that title?
3: Yeah and
2: and it's it's a little bit confused
0: Well Sayadina is a different title than the the, the old mother, mother the Reverend mother yeah. yeah
2: I think there's a like what am I trying like an immortal component to that Like th- that's what I was trying to say like the Sayad like the Sayadina thing is is like the I am giving you all my ancestry knowledge oh, man.
0: there there's a, there are several superheroes who do this well, in the fraction of Brubaker Iron Fist, the the power of the Iron Fist is kind of like this, right? No, yeah. like it's a it's a ancestral sort of historical power, right? And you gain the knowledge of all the Iron Fists that came before you, right?
3: That's true,
2: and that's like the that a part of that knowledge is your super is your superpower is your superpower. Like that's that's the thing that. Like, that's part of it, beyond just being, like, a super kung fu dude. Yeah. You have, like, this deep ancestral knowledge. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. It's
0: not, it's more holistic than just one thing.
2: And and I think it's interesting that, like, upon, like, within this group of three, like, if any one of us was to croak and hand our knowledge to the next one, regardless of the order or the, the... the sort of path of that, we would all become stronger because if I croaked and my ancestral memory passed over to Josh, he would take like Luke plus Josh, and that would pass to John, right? Or I'm the
0: survivor. Or you, or you, or you croak first,
2: Highlander. or jo- John croaks first, and then it goes to Josh, and then I get it. Like in any way, there's a cumulative impact, right? Like that to me, that's the, that's, that's the interesting thing is that there's some level of, of, of extra that's, that's added on there beyond the ancestral memory because it's, it's kind of, I, I didn't, I didn't mark it, but there's a, there's statements that Lady Jessica offers about how she like, she sees things beyond the cyadina like giving her extra info mm-hmm. it's it's stuff that she's informed like she's a smart lady and she has this whole like hey I just burned the the Kwisaj Hatterack. I did this thing that's added on top of that that informs the whole narrative
3: yeah I don't know I'm uh, no no this is this is great <laughs> because it interesting is also a good word it's, like, it's, it's, it's
2: super duper interesting <laughs> super duper fascinating <laughs> <laughs> I find intriguing. it fascinating. It's case.
3: super
0: serial, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. I, I think that the, the way Book Two ends is uh, Paul is has has gone from this civilizational sort of existence and is now immersed in this tribal sort of ceremony and has fully embraced his uh Muad Yeah.
2: He's he's signed on to Chani, he's signed on to himself, he's 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 part of the siege, right? He's drank he's drank the Kool-Aid like yeah. like like quite literally he's he's done it. Mm-hmm. He's part of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. And uh I I think that might be a good place for us to start wrapping up this episode. I like it, dude. Of
3: uh, Dune Talk. Because we know all its features.
0: <laughs> well, let's go around and if there's one thing that we didn't mention that you really liked, let's let's spend a little bit of time with that and then we will uh, start wrapping up.
3: I would want to say that I, I would be interested in hearing more of Luke's thoughts on the drug aspect of this. If this is an appropriate <laughs> moment of the, for that. Well, I, so, I, I've never done drugs. I have no idea what any dude, of this feels like.
2: I've I've done far less drugs than you're, than you're su- suspicious of. No,
3: no, that's not it. No, <laughs> no, no, no. no. That, uh, that's not what I'm implying. I apologize. Uh, what I'm saying is, is like, when they talk about some of this stuff, I, I have a hard time understanding what it is that it, like, how that would work, I guess. Like, they talk about time dilating and... Uh-huh like these things that she's feeling, I feel like there's some pretty strong descriptions of what Jessica's going through here of like seeing avenues open and seeing uh-huh. the, the dancing lady and all that. And like, I just, I can't wrap my head around the concepts of seeing that.
2: I just take it to mean that like, uh, her conception of, of everything is just, it's such that she's, She's she's able in a moment to digest what she's seeing, right? Or alternatively, like time has stopped or she's like able to ponder it, right? Right.
3: Yeah. I guess part of what I'm saying is I don't understand the tripping part of this. And I also am saying I'm not sure I fully like drugs are very prevalent in this whole book Mm -hmm. so far. Like not only are they an important plot point here, but it's how people control others. Spice is a drug. Right. Essentially that fuels the whole empire. So, why are drugs such a? F- was Frank Herbert into drugs?
0: Dr- Frank Herbert was into drugs. Okay. I think he
3: was into mushrooms,
0: actually. Okay. Um, but this was the the nineteen sixties. Man, I, I think a, a lot of creatives were really into the 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 drug scene and and psychedelics specifically, so, so that you could. Um, You know, the idea was that you were opening doors in your mind. I guess that's
3: the question I have. Is that something that people really believe in then is like you can take a drug and you'll interact with this. And then on the other side, you have some knowledge you didn't. before. I, I think
0: it's I think it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Like okay. native peoples would use peyote,
0: right, in, in ceremonies. Right. To sort of alter your state of consciousness and allow you to perceive things that you in ways that you wouldn't have been able to perceive them before. Now I say I, I say I say all this uh prefaced by the fact that I've never done anything like right.
3: that. Right. Yeah, you know, I c I the I only, can't believe uh, that, I guess. Like I can't believe that you could take a drug and you hallucinate something, and then on the other side you're like, oh, now I understand my mom better, or whatever.
2: I mean, well, same. Like, I, I feel the same way as Josh. Like, yes, those, those uh, perspectives are out there. Right. And I think they're valid. I mean, uh, depending on uh, – so, like, all three of us have drank alcohol right <laughs> to to some degree and and there there are moments where you have uh how do I want to say this like you are slower in your cognitive ability and right. you're you're more emotive like it, it, you can have really emotional responses <laughs> On alcohol. I'm using air quotes like, yeah. like, like yeah. alcohol, you're on alcohol as a drug. Right. Like you can get that. And you can have, uh, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous, but moments of clarity on sure. alcohol the same way that you could have moments of
0: clarity, I think, on any other drug. I think I, there's six I, years worth of podcasts that yeah, we recorded like, that uh, prove that.
2: That's, that is a, th- you can uh, have that that insight afforded just on, on beers and whiskey, like, like think about the next level of, of the, of the spice, like the melange, like it's Mm -hmm. the, what Herbert is positing here is, I think, I think it's both, it's not just superficial. I think it is a very concrete statement of how to think about the drug, the drug working too.
0: And I think there probably is something to the, uh, idea that it changes your, um, your brain chemistry in such a way that you perceive things that you might not have in ways that you might not have perceived them before there, there probably is
3: something there, but how do you remember it on the other side? I, I, well, I
0: I don't know that all drugs necessarily make you black out, right? right. Like I, I, alcohol doesn't. Right? Like even in even the uh the first Bourbon and Barbarians recording, like I remember that night. Right. You know, it's not completely gone. Right, right. But you didn't also like dilate time and I didn't die well, That's how boring. do you know that I didn't? <laughs> <laughs> um no, but it, it certainly changed the way that I was thinking about the uh the game that night. And then afterwards, clearly, like I was leading us on this diatribe about RPGs and what they mean to each of us. Yep. So okay. I, I think there is something there. I just, you know, and I bet there are listeners out there who have used uh, various drugs to alter their consciousness and their states in right. ways to uh, for for recreation or for enlightenment, you know, whatever. Um and if there are, let us know. Like, le- tell John why he should he should have some POV I just and- No,
3: I just want to know like what it is. Like what what happens? How do you feel? Yeah, I can't say I've ever had enough whiskey where I've ever had some revelation about myself personally. So, I'm just intrigued by Man, this I concept. Have, I have.
2: I, I, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. Okay.
3: Alright, that's my one. Howard day, one. Howard Days last year. Yeah. Yeah. You learned something about yourself in the sure. pavilion? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Not at the pavilion, no. It oh. was yeah. Later.
3: In the hotel room? In the hotel With room. Three of
0: us alone. Yep, all of us alone. <laughs> 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 and that's all we need to talk about. Uh, Luke, do you have any final final thoughts about uh, the Dune?
2: So we'll come back around to it in book three, I'm sure. But I think it's telegraphed by Herbert the the role of the princess mm-hmm. within her like you know prologues to the, to the to the first couple books as well as the role of count Fenrig. and even in the first book lady finrig like she she was mentioned too mm-hmm. the the larger role of the the emperor and so you've got this Interaction between the Atreides and the Harkonnen, but like overshadowing that, you have the the Emperor. It's it's. Mm. I'm just excited to see us talk about like the 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 culmination of like everything. Like everything is careening towards a big explosive finality here. No. Like the, the I I think the way that this book works, you get. Atreides plus Fremen plus Harkonnens equals, like, finale. But you, like, on the on the periphery, you get Count Fenrig Figri- talking to the Harkonnens and, and being all kinds of awkward, like, mm-hmm. with the way that he delivers things. But you see the faints with him faints and the larger story that's emerging. Yep. And I'm excited to, to talk about that. So if we were going to talk about any extra thing, it would be uh, the larger sort of big picture stuff, but we're going to come around to it.
0: Yeah. I'm interested to see how the political sort of uh, large scale plots interact with the, the smaller personal scale plots. And I, I think – that's going to come to a head probably, hopefully in this novel. I, like I said, I read the first couple, a pa- uh, couple chapters in uh, book three, which is subtitled the Prophet," mm-hmm. um, And I'm, I'm psyched to see how this book comes together. Uh, before we go, we haven't talked about feedback recently in, in episodes past, but we have gotten some pretty interesting feedback that I wanted to share with you guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. I want to hit you with some emails. First one Is from our pal Evil Ed. And he says, Greeting, comrades. I really, uh, sorry, I greatly enjoyed the Road of Revisions and I'm looking forward to the Road of Arrakis as I'm a huge fan of all things related to Dune. Also, congrats on the three now being one again now that John has returned to Kentucky. (laughs) This means we should plan on a weekend of shine, whiskey, mead, and other misdeeds. (laughs) I got my finger crossed for a Road to the West season to cover Howard's Western stories. Here's my one thing. If you haven't seen it, I recommend checking out the film The Endless. Have you seen this, Luke? Negative. Uh, this was done by some good friends of his, he says, and I think you all might find it interesting. It's a very trippy sci-fi horror flick, so it sounds like uh, it's it's well in the uh, the road to Arrakis okay. wheelhouse. So we'll have to look up nice. uh, the endless. Thanks, Ed, for the the email.
3: It sounds like he wants to help me have my first transcendent transcendental experience. Yeah,
0: Knoxville. we need a week. <laughs> we need a weekend in the woods outside of Knoxville. I think with, you guys with, are gonna take some ayahuasca or whatever. Uh, yeah, we'll go on a so, vision quest. What? Ed, you're gonna do it. What, what, I, did you I, say I, was, what was the word? ayahuasca? Right, like it's a uh, it's a <laughs> it's a uh, uh, psychedelic. Drug made from a plant. It's
2: all natural. It's natural, dude. Oh, cool. Natural, bro.
0: It's organic. They grow in Tennessee. We're gonna we're gonna go on a vision quest with <laughs> Evil Ed. All right, he'd be the
3: guy to do it with.
0: Yeah, he would be the guy to do it. With. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ed, for the email. Uh, we got an email from Dan Kramer. He says, "Greeting, cr- greetings, comrades. I just wanted to write in to say that I was surprised and delighted to hear that you'd be traveling down the road to Iraq as the season." I'm saddened to hear that none of you have read or apparently intend to read any of the other books in the series. While I only read the Frank Herbert authored books, I can absolutely recommend them as a worthy continuation to the universe. I cannot give an opinion on the books penned by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. A book I can recommend is the Dune Encyclopedia. Luke, do you have the Dune Encyclopedia? I do not. Is this something you've looked on a books for? It has. It has been something. Thought <laughs> Maybe. He says, while it is officially non-canon, I've enjoyed it a great deal when I wanted to look up a little more detail on a topic. The paperback version can be found for reasonable prices online. I once had the hardcover, but alas, that faded into the sands of time decades ago. I'm looking forward to your thoughts on this book that forms such a strong part of my teenage years. The summer of 88 for me was consumed by Dune and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now there's a pairing. Long live the fighters, Dan Kramer. Thanks, Dan. Dan. Um, I also want to say, I love that Cromrads is a thing. (laughs) Cromrads is a thing, yeah. That's our thing. We did that. Um, (laughs) I want to read a Facebook message from my pal Morgan Strickland. Uh, Morgan says, really enjoying the first episode I'm most of the way through it I had no idea that Dune was originally serialized Luke was dropping some knowledge I'm really impressed with how good you all Have gotten at hosting, he says um, Then he says, Josh The quote you were thinking of is Arthur C. Clarke, any sufficiently Advanced technology is indistinguishable From magic, which I Admitted to, to Morgan that I was Really ashamed of myself for, for paraphrasing <laughs> um, He recommends a uh youtube playlist called the ultimate guide to the dune saga which we i think we should probably save until we're we're finished with the novel yep um and uh we'll we'll post a link to that and then there's one more uh just just received a uh comment so luke posted a picture that we were uh podcasting tonight and and our pal Brad Ellison says, "I'm really glad you guys are getting into this after spending time on the road to the East. Pulp Orientalism provides a great context for the Fremen. So, uh, th- yeah, so that's something. Maybe we don't. I, I don't know if we want to get into tonight before we wrap up. But that that is something I think we should probably circle around and, and talk about, like right. this this notion of." Um, mysticism and viewing eastern cultures as as mystical
2: right i i think that can not wait but i think that that is something that we can talk about in the uh the book three discussion okay like quite a bit there's there's going to be the very close camera perspective on like Paul Atreides versus Harkonnen thing, mm-hmm. but there's also going to be the the broader sp- perspective of uh Fremen versus th- the world kind of thing. Yeah. So I think we can come back to that. Okay. Uh, but we should earmark that. Yeah. Like beyond just like the the next book discussion because we're we're moving kind of quick and so maybe maybe that's a good segue to talk about like what we're going to do next.
0: I wrote it in my bullet journal. Do
2: we want to, do we want to talk about the third book and wrap up the story and maybe have an episode or two? Or do we want to take a quick little hiatus and like hit on a, a specific topic?
3: I think it could be fun to, to stop and then talk about that topic or a couple of others but I also see the the power in finishing the story, and then maybe having like three, two or three wrap up sessions rather yeah. than our normal one.
0: I wonder about like knocking out the third one since we haven't read it yet, yeah. and and questions might come up that are answered or, or expanded upon in in the third yeah. section
2: of the book. I would I would vote for that too. Okay. Let's let's push on towards the third finish book, it. finish it, and then we can see what we want to come back to. Okay, because I really do feel like the like the 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 feminist or or women narratives that's something we're going to be able to talk about the whole like civilization barbarism thing we're going to be able to talk about uh i, f- I think we're going to be able to milk that for a couple episodes sweet
0: awesome and i'm i'm really interested in rewatching the the lynch Film, uh, which <laughs> is which is on Amazon Prime. It's flipping weird, man. Yeah, I know. I watched the preview lots it the other of
2: Whispering, night. <laughs> there's, <laughs> stings. In there's it. sting. Is he's fade. Right. He's fade, fade Rapha, Yeah. Right.
3: There's there's there's
2: lots of my thoughts, John.
3: Who plays the <laughs> evil Baron?
0: Oh, uh, I don't know who who it know. is. He's he's, he's heavily in prosthetics um, and, yeah. and yeah.
3: So I didn't get that in the first book that he was like that massive of a human being. Oh, really? I just thought he was like a big fella. And then I found a picture of him. Yeah. And like, he's got his, his bits hanging in floaty discs and stuff. Yeah. He's in the suspensors, right? Suspensors. Yeah. 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 He's,
0: right. he can't get around without these anti-grav right. like discs yeah. right. attached to him. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and he's a pedophile.
0: And he's, and he's. I wasn't
2: going to bring that up and, here at the and, very and, end of our second show. And <laughs> he's, he's gay. Yeah. Those are things we can talk about.
0: And he's into Paul. Yes.
2: All, all of those things are not the same. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so there's there's more stuff to mine. Yeah. We'll get into that in the third book.
0: For sure. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're careening toward a time jump, uh, looking at uh, book three, The Prophet. And uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I'm I'm looking forward to wrapping up the book and and seeing where things go. So so, what
2: do you guys think about reading like bigger chunks of text for this kind of conversation? <laughs>
0: oh, that's a good. Uh, this is different, right? Because it's a lot more material than we typically read for a Chromecast.
2: Like we're not like flipping through the pages and bringing up passages here. I mean, we've read some passages tonight, but few. This is this is. I don't know. It's more impressions
0: and less specifics. This is definitely more book club style. What are you? What are your thoughts, John? Not not just of Dune, but like the is it staying in. What? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. This is it, dude.
0: Yeah, Whenever you right, say it's committed. Be real. It, this is what we've been doing. So yeah, like <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, I think it's a longer forum, right? Like uh, maybe. Well, our podcast is is approaching two hours, um, but. You know, we we covered about 300 pages here. Um, so there's a lot of, of content there and context that we, we're we we're, we're broad scale rather yeah. than sort of zooming down into the, the nuances.
2: I mean, I guess the way to break it down would be 300 pages across 30 page stories would be 10 episodes or yeah, 10, right. 10 stories, right? Like we are boiling down with this.
0: For sure. Yeah, and there certainly are podcasts out there that do deeper dives into into Dune that we're doing. Um, so if you're interested in chapter by chapter analysis, the, those those shows are out there. Um, you know, uh, I I I like it. I think that it's it's fun, and I think it's something that we should certainly throw into the mix here and there.
2: Brown. All right. Let's close this out.
0: All right. We're at the end. We're at the, this is the end. Uh, we're, we we have, uh, drank from the water of life. We have, uh, had our orgiastic celebration here at the end. Luke's tilted up the, uh, wild Turkey one one So, you know, it's a yep. good time. Uh, so that means that we're at the end of the episode. So I should tell you that you should find us on the web at the cromcast.blogspot.com, where you can find blog posts that provide more context to the thoughts that we've had in the episode, plus links to relevant resources out there on the digital wasteland that is the internet. John, you keep giggling.
3: I do keep giggling.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you can find us on social media uh, where. Uh, Facebook.com slash We are on Twitter At TheChromcast We're on Instagram At uh, Cromcast. Uh, you could call us, that would be the best thing That would be the best thing you could do today It would make our days, right John? Yep uh, To do that, you would call 859 429 Crom. And you've got about two minutes Here's what's going to happen It's going to ring five times <laughs> uh, then you're going to hear a brief voicemail greeting. And then you, you got two minutes to let us know what's on your mind. Um, so give us a call, let us know what's up or email us. That's the Chromecast at gmail.com.
3: And if you're looking for the old episodes of the show from way back, Oh, good point. Yep. So you can go to the Chromecast.blogspot.com.
0: There is an episode archive there. You can also do a search on archive.org. Um, for the Cromcast That's where we host all of our audio um, Or if you're interested in downloading The bulk episodes From season one which focused on Conan the Barbarian and season two Which focused on Howard's Treatment of female characters You can go to our uh, Google Drive um, Which is an Archive of all of those you can download them all at once So our stuff is all out there It's all for you it's all free Outside of a po- pay, uh, Patreon force field, <laughs> you don't have to pay us anything. It's all out there. It's super
3: free, super free. Just like the Fremen.
0: That's just like the Fremen, <laughs> and and just like the Fremen, we're walking without rhythm into the future, and we'll see you a little bit further down the road to Arrakis
2: here. here. <laughs> That's right. I'll I'll drop it, dude.
1: I love it. Yeah, Spider-Man and freezing full of fact. You uh-huh. ready Ron? I'm ready. You ready to I'm ready, Slick, are you? Oh yeah, take it down. Girl, I must yeah. warn you. I sense something strange in my mind. Yeah. Yo, situation is go. Let's kill it, cause we're running out of time. Know, it's cold, so beautiful. Yeah
2: ships they seen from the start yeah. mm-hmm. it's all so yeah.
3: EPO, the PA. Bow out, EPO, the PA. Bow out, wow.
1: PA. Bow PA.